That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, so Steve Marmel is here today to talk politics and cartoons. But first, I have a request. I need you, you right there, to open your internet browser and type in patreon.com slash Show. Once you're there, once you've opened that web page, choose to either follow the show for free or better yet, subscribe for as little as $1 a month. Why am I asking you to do that? Well, because this show is powered by our Patreon page. We can't do this show without the immense support of our Patreon community. So why not join that exclusive and fast-growing club? It's the hub for this podcast where our most loyal listeners hang out and, by the way, where subscribers get all kinds of bonus content as well. So join us, why don't you? Patreon.com slash Bob Show. And now let the cartoons begin. Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Did you ever see anything about Seska that made you suspicious? The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, February 28, 2024, and this is the Bob Seska Interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 1,135 of the Biden-Harris administration, 251 days into the 24 presidential election. You can find me on threads and Instagram, the Bob Seska, Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go, blue sky, just Bob Seska, and our Patreon page is bobseskashow.com. So the great Steve Marmel is here today, as I said just a second ago. And it's the weirdest thing. I could have sworn I interviewed Steve before, but I double-checked my archives, and nope, I'm hallucinating all of that. This is Steve's virgin appearance on the podcast. So, you might know Steve from his appearances on The Stephanie Miller Show, or his popular social media posts, or from many of the greatest cartoon shows on television, including Johnny Bravo, Cow and Chicken, Family Guy, The Fairly Odd Parents. And by the way, we spent some time talking about cartoons today in addition to breaking news about Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. So stick around, damn it. Meantime, don't forget to support this podcast by subscribing to us on Patreon, bobseskashow.com or patreon.com slash bobseskashow. Okay, this is me talking with Steve Marmel. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Yeah, yeah, it was so weird. I was like, uh, yeah, Steve's returning to the show today. And then I went scrolling through my archives like, wait a second, Steve's never been on the show before. What am I talking about? What's wrong with me? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and you know what? We just got some uh, breaking news here uh, right before we're ready to start. Mm-hmm. A couple, couple of different breaking news things that we can talk about. First of all, apparently Donald Trump has offered the appeals court a $100 million bond which is hysterical. He thinks this is a negotiation, Steve. Does he understand that the reason he's being fined that much is because he's not really good at evaluating cost? (laughs) That's right. The businessman ex-president, right? Has no aptitude for this whatsoever. I mean, he's bankrupting the Republican National Committee right now because he's so great at business. I mean, it's like, hey, I owe half a billion dollars. Would you like nine cents? No, no, we wouldn't. We'll take your stupid building. Right. Yeah. He's he's treating the state of New York like he treats his subcontractors. <laughs> like, OK, yeah, yeah. You know what? We're going to settle for pennies on the dollar because you're not getting the full salary that we promised you. Yeah. You've seen that video, right? The guy that's driving talking about the fact that, you know, his friend got a, a was a contractor. Mm. I don't have the, I don't have the exact stuff, but it's like he was all excited to work for Trump and Trump went yeah, I'm only going to pay you 40% or something. God and so damn. the guy like settled, mm-hmm. sold all his equipment and killed himself. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Don, well, Donald Trump, I mean, he's a notorious cheapskate. Donald Trump always has been. And the funny part about that is he still claims to be worth $9 billion. And yeah. uh, all the while, I guess, puts scotch tape on his tie <laughs> because that's what yeah. nine billionaires do. They can't afford actual tie clips with $9 billion. So he's got a scotch tape yeah. his, his tie. I mean, Jared can afford Jared can afford a tie clip, but uh, he's probably a better terrible person and business person than Donald is. That's right. So. And, and I was thinking about, Steve, I was thinking about the fact that for a while there, last week, they were trying to trot out the Eighth Amendment argument that it was an excessive fine, that Donald Trump was being excessively penalized against his constitutional rights. And what I thought was right. funny about that is going back to the $9 billion, if he paid the judgment in full just to the state of New York, he would still ostensibly have $8.5 billion. So how could that right. possibly be defined as a hardship? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it's not. It's yeah. Well, it is because he's a liar, yeah. in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Allegedly. Let's just be journalists for a moment. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, it's like, I don't think it's about, I don't think it's about him being a cheapskate. I think it's really, he just gets this, this almost uh, sociopathic glee from not like, just grinding people to a pulp. Yeah. And he's been doing that his entire life. And suddenly he has this really smart black woman going, no, and it's pushing all his bigotry, mm -hmm. cheapskate, and uh, I need to win buttons. So, yeah. and misogyny, all of it. It's just a, it's a, it's, it, if you bet all four of those on DraftKings, you'd make a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, do you think the fact that he refuses to pay, do you think that has something to do with that toxic masculinity of his? Like, do you think that's something like, okay, look, if I pay the actual amount that I promised to pay, my contractors or whoever, someone I've rented a, a facility for, for a Trump rally, if I pay right. that in full, then I'm looking weak. Do you think that is, he sees that as a sign of weakness, making good on your debts? Uh, I think probably like he, you know, when he was being grilled about his taxes, he's like, Hey, I use the rules. It doesn't make it ethically right, but I right. use them. Right. I just think, you know, I agree with Biden. I just think he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> so, you know, it's, yep. uh, and this is what fucking assholes do. You may have to beat that. You may not. I don't know. This is my first time on the show. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of fucking assholes, it was announced today right before the show. And you know what, by the way, this crap usually happens after I'm done recording the show. So you've brought some magic to the podcast today, I, Steve. I, I like that. You should have me on more. I'll always make <laughs> terrible things happen in the news. Go Absolutely. on. <laughs> Yeah, well, Mitch McConnell decided he's going to step down in November as a Republican leader in the Senate. Totally not a surprise, right? Yeah. Oh, he, Mitch McConnell on a step. That should be interesting to watch. <laughs> oh, think, he'll, think, think he'll tumble? <laughs> think he'll be like Grandpa Simpson? Steps? Nuts to you. Uh, <laughs> maybe when you start to zots out in the middle of a press conference, yeah, that means it's maybe time to step aside. You know what I mean? Well, he ain't going to step aside, though, because there's a Democrat in the governor's office. That's true. And I don't know if they passed that law where it's like, you got to replace him with the party. I'm like, OK, then mm. let's just not have a special election. Right. Remember, remember Merrick Garland oh, yeah. running for SCOTUS? Let's just do that. Yeah, I mean, all these things are happening at once, Steve. I mean, uh, Trump is badly underperforming in the primaries. Yeah. The, the RNC is near broke. Ronna McDaniel is resigning. Mitch McConnell is stepping down. Mike Johnson's being puppeteered by Trump. The House Republicans yeah. have been circulating obvious Kremlin disinformation. But Joe Biden is toast. That's what the political press is yeah. saying. <laughs> Bad yeah. news for I, Joe I, Biden. I love the fact that Trump uh, wins by 20% over Nikki Haley, uh, and he's crushed it. Yeah. And then uh, and then Joe Biden wins with more votes than uh, a record Democratic primary. He's like, wow, he's really being taught a lesson. It's like, no, yeah. he's not. You got, It's like, and you know what? Everybody's pissed, and we're all going to come out and vote again, but let's keep it to ourselves so we don't get cocky. I, I noticed that the uh, political press, too, is framing last night's uh, Michigan yeah. primary as doom for Biden, even though the uncommitted vote in 2012 in that Michigan primary was nearly identical. I think the uncommitted vote yeah. in 2012 was 
10.6% uh, last yeah. night. It was 13%. So it's like, it's just in the like margin of error. If it was polling, it would be within the margin of error. Yeah. It's absolutely insane that that's being framed as a disaster for Joe Biden in Michigan. Yeah. And Barack Obama went on to win Michigan handily in 2012, even though there was yeah. that protest vote. But that's we're talking about um, merely a protest vote that doesn't necessarily resonate into November, does it? No. And I, I have to believe that um, I have I just have to believe that, like, I always believe this. I believe people don't unvote their vote. That's mm -hmm. why Ron Johnson is still in the Senate, yeah. even though he's he's a complete douchebag mm -hmm. um and uh you know there's you can look at certain races and go ah oh, that person sucks but people don't go i made a mistake i'm going to vote for the other guy yeah. it just i don't see it happening yeah. if you put biden against trump again everybody that's lost a right everybody that knows trump's a lunatic they're all coming out mm -hmm. they're all going to come out and everybody that doesn't like trump because he's insane and dangerous you know, a big chunk of those people are going to stay home. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's just, it's, I, I'm not unafraid because it's like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You can't help but think what it would be like to fall and hit the side 40 times before you die. Yeah. But I don't really see that as happening. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah, and the thing is, I think this age issue with Biden, the whole dump Biden campaign. Yeah. Which, by the way, just uh, setting up some context for this, New York Magazine's Jonathan Chait uh, posted another piece about this. And I of, thought the issue, right, I thought this issue was closed, in my opinion, at least. I mean, from the beginning, it was a kind of a news media manufactured story recycling that Hillary is dying thing from 2016, yeah. Obama's teleprompter from 2012. And yet it's still being discussed as though it's a serious thing. And it's absolutely ridiculous, especially knowing that the most likely outcome in November will be the age issue between Biden and Trump will probably right. cancel itself out electorally, don't you think? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And if you play, if you want to measure up who said stupid things versus who said stupid things, mm -hmm. uh, that scale tips uh, pretty heavily towards the orange idiot. Right, so. right. I think people end up stepping into the voting booth and they're deciding, well, they're saying, well, I think Joe Biden might be too old, but you know what? I'm going to vote for him anyway. I, I think that's maybe the question, the follow-up question that the pollsters aren't asking. Like they're yeah, asking the question, do you think Joe Biden's too old to serve another term? And they go, well, some of them go, yeah. But th then they don't ask, will you vote for him anyway? Because I think by right. and large, the answer would be absolutely, given the alternative. I call it the... Yeah. I call it the Chuck Grassley effect. I mean, if that guy gets reelected, nobody gives a shit about age. That's right. I mean, wasn't he in the first election when we became a country? I, I mean, right. di didn't didn't wasn't he didn't he stab Caesar? Like, how old is that guy? He was there for like, the Sumner caning, I think. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think it's an issue. I think I think they're making it an issue. I think Dean Phillips yeah. wants to be it an issue, but mm -hmm. Dean Phillips lost to Marianne Williamson spending five million dollars of his own money. Yeah. So I don't really think he knows what he's doing. Right. Really yeah, don't. you were you were going after him yesterday on Twitter. Uh, turns oh, out that yeah. <laughs> turns out uh, Steve that he and a magician friend were responsible for that Biden yeah. AI, AI robocall. How yeah. dumb was that? I mean, he was obviously going to get caught eventually. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. He's just look, man. I feel I do feel sorry for the people in his district that have taxation without representation. The guy took a twenty four month job <laughs> to be a congressman, and nine day nine months into it, he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm giving my fifteen month notice. I'm running for president." <laughs> what a dick! Yeah. I mean, it seems like people like uh, RFK, Marianne Williamson, Dean Phillips, yeah. they should be held accountable by Democrats for engaging in such obvious cash grabs. You know, it seems like yeah. it should be so clear. I mean, we pride ourselves on being aware of scammers and grifters here on the left. And yet so many of us still get duped by these people every time there's another national election around the corner what is it that's keeping, you know, a certain percentage of Democrats from realizing that these people are just out for the cynical cash grab? They're not out to make any significant change. Um, 
I don't, you know, I was thinking about that. I, I mean, I like taking shots at Dean Phillips because I, I just, he's worth nine figures and yeah. you know, he's He's going to be the Meg Whitman of this year. Um, but you know, in the end it's, I think they're, they look at him like he's going to be gone by the election. Yeah. So why are we wasting money and time and effort like trying to swat away this one buzzy fly when he, the, the flies have a lifespan of like what, 48 hours. <laughs> like he's going to, he's going to be gone. He's going to, he's not going to be a part of it. RFK is going to, you know, do as much damage as he can do because we know he's a, you know, a useful idiot for the right, but you know, it ain't going to be him either. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, I don't. I don't want to see them spending their time and money on things that won't matter in three months. Mm-hmm. I like building the war chest and eliminating Republicans everywhere from the presidency down to the dog catcher. Like yeah. it's time. Is there anything to the idea that certain sections of the political press? actually wants Donald Trump to win, not because they love Donald Trump, but because whatever, because it's it's good for ratings. It's good for uh, oh, yeah. likes, shares, downloads, et cetera. Um, I think that's part of it. I yeah. think it's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are they, they going to talk about? The fact that uh, he's honoring his promises to the best of his ability with the Republicans in the way yeah. that, uh, you know, they can't they can't. They can't talk about that. They bury that shit even on you know page sixteen. Even when they're big witness on the uh, on the Biden Benghazi issue, whatever that issue happens to be, <laughs> was a liar and arrested. Mm-hmm. But that that gets put on page sixteen of the New York Times. So yeah, yeah they want a horse race. But the other thing, I just really sort of believe, and it's it's kind of dark, is that uh, they know. You know, if if Trump gets in, he's going to do his version of purges, right? Yep. And that you know, it's like you don't have to read The Handmaid's Tale to go, oh, it's the Boston Globe incident. You don't think those journalists know that fake news is going to be at the top of his vengeance list? I think there's probably some fear. Like, I think there's some journalists that are like, well, when he starts taking out newsrooms. I'll be okay because I was one of the good ones. Yeah, that's so naive, though, because don't you think Donald Trump could see through that? Like, okay, oh, what? You're handing me a couple of favorable news articles, and that's supposed to be your get-out-of-jail-free card? That's supposed to mean that I'm not going to round you up with the rest of the enemies of the people? It just seems ridiculous. I don't think Donald Trump, in that scenario, as dictator for life, rounding up dissidents and so forth— I don't think he's going to see that distinction. I just think he's going to look for scalps. You know what I mean? Well, if you look at Congress on January 6th, uh, none of those guys were standing around with smiles going, hey, they're not here for us. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah, it's ignorant. Yeah. So, you know. So what's (laughs) what's the reasoning uh, in your estimation? What's the reasoning behind elevating someone who is very obviously a loser? It seems like the congressional Republicans bending over backwards to prop up Donald Trump again. Why do you think they're so tethered to Donald Trump? Is it pure fear right now, or do they see his victory as inevitable somehow, and that they, like the press, maybe want to get on on his good side? Uh, What is this? Because it seems like nothing but a march toward the cliff, because what we've seen every single time when Donald Trump is either on the ballot or tacitly on the ballot, like he was in 2022, seems like it turns out to be an utter failure, just a disaster for the Republicans. I uh, I think they don't, you know, it's like, look, Lindsey Graham was like, if he's the nominee, he'll destroy the party. And he was right. Yeah. But now he's now he's like literally attached to that guy's ass, like part of a human centipede. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's like if he's going to be the nominee, which it looks like he would be unless he's in a jail somewhere. And then yeah. even then he would be the nominee. Uh, they have to support they have to support somebody. They can't go, yeah, you know what? Don't vote for him. But from Congress on down, vote for us. Like they don't, it's, they don't have a choice. Right. right. And, you know, and, uh, and you know, the other, and keep in mind that I write fart jokes for a living, right? (laughs) Like that's, this is what I do. I love, I I love 
the news. I, I read the news. I like joking about the news. But my actual profession is writing fart jokes for kids. So take all of my opinions with that grain of salt. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is there was a hack, uh, the, you know, uh, the, before the 2016 election. Yep. And all the Democrat stuff came out and all the Republican stuff did not. And boy, they're all lining up like they're afraid of shit. Yeah. And and I don't, you know, again, I can I can throw out crazy conspiracies like everybody else. It doesn't matter because when you just put it on paper, they're on the wrong side, following the wrong man, and the Democrats are the right choice in this election, mm-hmm. both because this president has done good work despite what the media doesn't focus on, and secondly, he's not going to be a dictator and let Europe fall to crap. Right. So, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, just it's binary. It's a mm. binary election. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I keep thinking about, Steve, along these lines is Donald Trump spent four years in the White House thinking that he could declassify anything with his mind on top of having uh, total access to everyone's yeah. FBI files. I think Donald Trump spent a lot of time up in the residence of the White House thumbing his stubby fingers through everyone's FBI files from the Hill elsewhere, maybe the political press as well. Who's got the dirt? Where's the skeletons in the closets? And, and start, I mean, right at the top of that stack had to have been Lindsey Graham. But I mean, down from there, God only knows who else he's got uh, basically his own version of Compromat on because yeah. he played so fast and loose with classified documents and, and files like that, right? Yeah, I, if if not him, uh, somebody somebody uh, smarter than him, which by the way is pretty yeah. much everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, you know, absolutely. Mm. You know, it's like I think you can track like, wow, how'd they get that information directly to him and his toadies still in government? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, look, it's, look, it's, yeah. Commander Biden was right. Commander Biden knew. <laughs> That's the right. Dogs know. Keeping an, eye, no. keeping an eye on the Secret Service guys. Is that what you're saying? Who's, who's a good boy? <laughs> you are. Who's a good boy? <laughs> okay, short break. Back with Steve Marmel right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, it's Randy Rhodes, and here's what you missed. I'll tell you a little dirty secret. Trump cannot win. The whole abortion thing's been kryptonite for Donald Trump. It's like he takes credit for taking away freedom. I don't think you can win enough independents or Republicans in a general election when you're responsible for and crowing about taking away freedom. Banning books is a thing, right? Banning abortion is a thing. Now banning IVF. Now contraception, they want to take that away too. And they're going to go after gay marriage. Do you understand that? And there are just too many people that aren't in the mood for theocracy, that aren't in the mood for one version of religion to be in your life, to be in your bedroom, to be in your doctor's office, to be in footlocker with you don't have time to listen to the live show want to hear more on your schedule go to randyroads.com and buy a stinking podcast Bob Seska. So, yeah, while we're talking about the Republicans painting themselves into a corner with Trump, we've got to talk about them painting themselves into a corner on IVF. I mean, oh. how, how do they justify IVF's destruction of embryos versus, say, like, 
a 12-year-old rape victim having an abortion. One, IVF, that's fine. You can destroy all the embryos you want. But if it's a 12-year-old rape victim, no way. No abortion for her. Yeah, uh, you can't. I mean, it's this is why we can't point, point out their hypocrisy because we'd, uh, we'd be exhausted to the point of death. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, even Nikki Haley is like, oh, I'm for it. I mean, I'm against it. I mean, like, oh, look, a squirrel. Like, she's just, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. they're all doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and every time they make one of those statements, you can just go online and go, oh, you co-sponsored that bill that made it happen. Yeah. And, you know, and people are pissed. Mm-hmm. People, you know, it's screwed up science. It's screwed up uh, people's abilities to have uh, children. If the, you know, it's, it's screwing up a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I want you to know that I am eating an omelet right now. So I am murdering chickens for <laughs> breakfast. Prison for you, man. That's it. Yeah. Lock yeah. him up. Lock him I up. Am, <laughs> I am cockadoodle doomed. It's so crazy. I was thinking about this, Steve, as we're talking about IVF. Um, there have been three distinct occasions in the past year alone in which the Democrats, mainly Joe Biden himself, have rabbit season, duck season, the Republicans. First, it was the state State of the Union last year. Remember the State of the Union last year? It was just about a year ago. Joe Biden, rabbit season, duck season, them all on Social Security and Medicare. Got them to pledge on live national television that they will not cut Social Security and Medicare in the budget negotiations. Then they rabbit season, duck season, the Republicans on the border. They agree to a bipartisan uh, border legislation that, as a standalone thing, the Democrats never would have supported. But as this way to kind of lure the Republicans in only for Donald Trump to yank the carpet out from under them, it it was brilliant politics, the way the uh, bipartisan border legislation was handled. And then uh, IVF. (laughs) <laughs> completely right. and i don't know that that's the democrats uh, doing that i think the republicans did that to themselves but they keep getting tricked into these conundrums where they're just completely boxed in by their own fuckery it just seems yeah. like there should be more attention paid to that by the political press putting these kinds of things together it's almost like they're serially screwing themselves is what they're doing. It is. It is beautiful to watch. And I think like, I think it's getting traction. Uh, mm-hmm. It's definitely getting traction with IVF. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely getting traction with Roe versus Wade. Um, and, you know, it's, by the way, it's also getting traction with student loan forgiveness. Like, oh, yeah. you know, like Betsy DeVos going, I don't, you know, I, I, you pay your loans. You're just buying votes. And then you literally do one <laughs> Google search. It's like, and she's like, I don't know how much money we've given to Republicans. Maybe, maybe 200 million. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. You can sit this one out, Bets. So do, do they recognize that? I mean, do they see that going in and they're like, well, it doesn't matter. The contradictions are irrelevant. We're just going to own the libs on this. But it makes them look like idiots like Betsy DeVos. It was remarkable the other day when she was saying that, oh, yeah, Joe Biden's just buying votes when, in fact, Donald Trump put his ridiculous EKG signature on every yeah. single covid stimulus check in 2020. Talk about buying votes for God's sake. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, delaying the payments because he wanted his uh his <laughs> wanted his uh, short fingers That's to right. um to God. it's like, yeah, I know you're hungry, but uh I need to like scrawl my illegible uh what a yeah yeah it's absolutely uh insane i mean by itself yeah okay this is the kind of shit donald trump does but then to have the intellectual violence to turn around and say joe biden is buying votes by forgiving student loan debt after what donald trump has done it's it it it, it, it's one of those things where you can't help but feel like you've taken crazy pills like what the fuck is actually going on here so uh, I, I just think that like it's a, it's they're it, they're dying because of a death of a thousand cuts. Like, yeah, yeah. OK, the border like they've tried to scream caravan alone and it didn't work. It worked mm-hmm. a little bit, worked a little bit. Right. Yeah. But now it's like, OK, it's all it, the caravan is bullshit. Roe versus Wade has pissed everybody off. IVF has pissed off the people that can afford IVF. Like, mm-hmm. let's let's be real honest here. That's not cheap. Yeah. OK. Um, and uh so now you're pissing off like middle to upper income, fa- uh, mostly, I'm going to say, you know, 
the the suburban voters that you love and you hope switch to you, you're pissing them off going, no family for you. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's like every issue, they're alienating a small group. That's why they have to try to find those groups for Biden in right wing diners mm-hmm. so that they can go, see, it's both sides. Well, it's really not. It's yeah. really not. Well, you know what? Uh, you mentioned uh, how you make uh, fart jokes. You write fart jokes for a living for kids. And I used to do that myself. Maybe not necessarily for kids. Uh, maybe a couple of times for kids, but mostly sure. for adults. We both, uh, you, you're still working in the animation industry. I used to be in the yeah. animation industry for, I ran an animation studio for a period of time, about 10 years. Uh, huh. a, different, a different wing of the animation industry, I think. I was doing mostly online stuff with... Uh, uh, Flash, which was the you know the big thing yeah. in the first uh, part, like starting in the dot com era and and lasting through maybe the first uh, ten years of the two thousands, and then uh, dying off and being replaced by other software. But I mean that was kind of the thing for a while, and that's what I was doing. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about this because it seems like the American animation industry is rapidly dying or being driven out of the country at the very least. Where is the American animation industry in your estimation at this point, Steve? Um, Boy, it's, it's tough because look, uh, I, most, most of my shows have been animated in either Canada or Korea. Uh Um, And that's, you know, those, that wasn't my choice on uh, because it's, I, I've created stuff, but I've always, I've never been that guy. I've never been the, yeah. the person in charge of where it goes, but the tax breaks, everything like that, like, it's just for animation, it's unbeatable. There's, but I also think like every cartoon you have for most of them, you have a production staff that goes all the way up to shipping it. Mm-hmm. And then a production staff that goes all the way back down to producing it. Yeah. Um, so the, that, that one niche of animators exists elsewhere um but it is it's project to project it's like why do you go to atlanta to shoot an avengers movie instead of doing it uh anywhere else it's tax breaks um yeah i mean i don't know i just in the end quality product wins and i don't think it you know i i'd love for all this stuff to be in the states but you know that's it's it's above every creator's pay grade to make that call Right, right. So is there a step away from uh, 2D hand-drawn animation, at least in the television sense? Is that still kind of alive? Is that still a thing? Or is it also yeah, getting replaced by CG uh, 3D animation? Well, Fox's whole lineup, the primetime lineup, is is hand-drawn, uh, yeah, hand-drawn right. 2D animation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, look at shows like Archer. That's that's hand drawn that that's storyboarded out i would imagine i mean mm-hmm. you know it's it's it still exists and it's it's interesting i i mean there's some beautiful shows out there right they look they look gorgeous yeah but with with comedies i don't think that's as important mm-hmm. i think the i think the the writing and the directing go together yeah but you know you're laughing at jokes that would work in a sitcom as uh-huh. well yeah, yeah. So I, I always consider animation like a, a single camera shoot where you can go anywhere in the universe. Mm-hmm. It, it always seems strange to me that um, Japanese anime is so popular while at the same time there doesn't seem to be the appetite for 2D hand-drawn animation in feature films. Uh, and you made a great point about television. It's just in feature films, it seems like that's become the exclusive purview of, of CG animation. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying CG animation yeah. is bad. It still takes a lot of craftsmanship and a lot of skill and a lot of talent to make that stuff. I wonder if 2D animation is ever going to make a comeback cinematically. Uh, what do you think along those lines? I I don't know. I mean, it, it's like if you look at if you look at the box office, Demon Slayer did pretty well this week. Yeah. Um, and you know, my with the My Hero Academia movie did pretty well. I think mm. in the end, it's like if it fits the genre, great. You know, yeah. um, I you know I, I I don't I don't think I don't think I don't think the new like this generation is necessarily going to be like I can't see that in CG. Mm-hmm. Um, at least older. I, I, I think when you start getting to what what a younger demographic looks like, they're used to everything being CG from kindergarten almost all the way up to uh, when they move past TV cartoons. Yeah, I see. Um, so, 
I mean, yeah, it- I just. Oh, go ahead. I, no, I just think I think honestly, it's it literally goes uh, creator to creator, mm-hmm. you know, um, and uh, and the way they use it is even uh, is even amazing. So yeah, I, I think good, good stuff cuts through the clutter. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating to observe. I mean, one of the things that I was uh, dealing with just in sort of the latter couple of years of my animation career, which basically ended in 2015 by choice. I was just done with it. Uh, And one of the reasons was just the diminished budgets were getting too much to deal with. And I felt really bad for my animators who were getting less and less of that pie. You know what I mean? And so is that something you've noticed too, where the budgets Uh, have been really diminished down to... Uh, the point where God, I mean, how, how do you even operate? How do you even put put a show together you know, based on those numbers? It, it's it's tight. Like, fortunately, I've always been uh, been in union shops with uh, animation, so yeah. there's always been a minimum that these uh, animators are paid in the states, which is good because you know Nickelodeon, there'd be 200 people working on a show, or 50 or 100, it depends on the show mm-hmm. at any given time. At Disney, same thing with that. Anything that was animated and produced there it would you'd have your really big core but they were covered by a union shop it's the it's the fact that anybody can do it on their computer now and turn it out onto youtube yeah that's those are the people that are getting screwed um unless of course they're monetizing their channel really well mm-hmm. um but uh i'll give you an example of like of the hybrid i did a show uh that was created by bob boyle yeah. uh who basically in my opinion came up with the designs for fairly odd parents. He's, he's brilliant. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he moved to Disney and I moved to Disney with him in 2006. He did this really low budget show called yin yang. Yo. Um, and it was, look, it's two rabbits that made fart jokes and fought evil. Just take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> I love it. But, but it was in flash. And I realized the one thing I really wanted was the ability to punch up visuals before it was finalized. So yeah. we carved out a little bit of the budget and hired uh, one or two flash animators in house to sort of adjust two to three minutes of the cartoon every episode with, with the producer being in the room with them. And that, and that for me, at least I, you know, and Disney was cool with it at the time. I don't know how they do their budgets now with that stuff, but it, it gave us the ability to make the show a lot better in my eyes because if a joke wasn't landing, I could change the timing or the expression. Mm-hmm. I could pick up a voice actor and add a joke because I knew I could get that lip flap going on the character. Yeah, right. So, I mean, there's creative ways to do it, uh, it but you know, and then again, there's Netflix, which is like, here's a billion dollars, make a <laughs> stick figure show. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, is that really happening? I mean, is it are some of the streamers really paying like a, a premium money for animated content, or is there still that budget constraint there, as we've witnessed with uh, some of the more legacy media outlets? I think it goes. I think it goes to creator to creator. If you're yeah. like a and a, like if you're a Dan Povenmire, for example, uh, that uh, is a, still at Disney and created Phineas and Ferb and uh, a, a bunch of other great stuff, Hamster mm-hmm. and Gretel. Um, you know, it, it, if that, if you want him at Netflix, you've got to give him the money and the budget for his shows because they are taking care of him at Disney, yeah. right? You don't move to Netflix from Disney unless, and, and then have the quality of your, your materials go down. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is, uh, you know, if you're walking in with an idea and you don't have that pedigree, then you're going to get, you're going to get the budget of somebody that they're taking a risk on. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so it's it's good news because there's a whole wave of young, diverse, talented animators that grew up watching shows from 20 years ago that are going to get their shot, but they're not going to get a billion dollars to make their cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, Do you find that it's more difficult to get a show picked up for a pilot or greenlit now that there is, as you said before, uh, a lot of people coming in with some sort of significant following on the internet, some sort of built-in audience that they can bring to a pitch that is much more appealing to executives at network. So uh, are you running into that hurdle? Are you hearing a lot of network executives go, well, you know what, if you 
want to do this show, make a, you know, a five minute thing and put it on Instagram and see how it does first. Are you getting that a lot? Uh, I don't get that from the big studios, but I do get that from scrappy individuals. Right. And I, and I, (laughs) by the way, I, (laughs) what does that mean? I love, it means like, Hey, I've got an idea for a show. Uh Uh, I'm not going to get funded for this pilot. So I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I know enough. I, I know enough about how to animate uh, on my uh, on my desktop computer and my drawing uh, tablet that mm-hmm. I can do this right yeah, yeah. and then if it get if it's then that's an example of their show it's an ex- it, if it gets traction on the internet it gets attention if it's a game and it looks good it gets attention um, so that's that's the that is the one beautiful thing about where we're at right now yeah the internet is disgusting uh, at points <laughs> but if you're creative and you have something unique and whether that's live action, animation, commentary, you you can do it if you learn the skills and if it takes off, then you can move into being a part of uh, whatever mass media machine you want or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I kind of ran into myself where initially my foot in the door with television was the fact that I had already pre-established myself on the internet with a series of internet cartoons in the dot-com era. So I I had that leg up. And then what happened was after that, I was so busy doing television, I wasn't doing internet anymore, so I couldn't successfully pitch shows that already had an internet track record behind it. And I was just pitching stuff fresh, and people were like, well, go put it on the internet first and get back to us, which was so immensely frustrating. You know what I mean? But yeah, uh, well, the, and the flip side is if you're if you're on a show that's doing well for a for a network or a studio, mm-hmm. then they're going to want to come to you and go, what else do you have before they go fishing for other things? Right. Right. Like if you've got a track record of being on on a on a hit, then they'll be willing to give you a shot at creating another one. Yeah. Um, some people have one mm-hmm. and uh, some people have. Uh, a ton of shows and uh, it's sort of the way it works. Um, you know, yeah. it's, people want to do business with people that they are comfortable with, especially when you're talking about the kind of money and time. Like my sure. first, one of my shows at Disney uh, that only ran for two seasons uh, had a five year long uh, Excel spreadsheet from the idea to the, uh, to the, post of the final episode <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of time it is right? i had it, the same experience yeah yeah it's it's yeah, i don't know it's uh it's eight percent of your life mm-hmm. so uh that's you know it's they're making a big commitment you're making a big commitment and uh i just yeah i think they want to be they want to be safe but take chances and i don't know that that necessarily always works so how did you go from uh, studying journalism to getting into animation in the first place? What was the transition there between those two areas? I mean, I can kind of uh, see the overlap as far as, you know, writing. I mean, that's essential yeah. to both. But well, how did you make that evolution in your career? Well, I was uh, I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison for six years for a four-year journalism degree. <laughs> um and uh, I started doing stand-up when I was about 17 years old. Yeah. Um, and so they had to like sneak me in the back, uh, let me do my jokes and run me out because it was a bar. <laughs> um, so, you know, after, uh, but all of my jokes were based on the news, mm-hmm. right? It was yeah. all topical, burn, you know, disposable material. And uh, when I got out, I literally sent, it was during the first Iraq, uh, Iraq, Iraq war, and I was doing a 45 minute set where I was actually online at the time using this Mac computer I carried around and I would do, I would do jokes about the news yeah. that got me a job. That got me a job on the Arsenio Hall show, the original one. Wow. And so, and so from there I was an established writer hmm. and then I was doing stand up in Los Angeles. I was uh, going through a particularly bad breakup. So my material had that tinge to it. <laughs> and uh, an executive from Hanna Barbera went, huh, you seem a little angry about women right now. Would you like to write Johnny Bravo? And uh, that's how my animation career started. Wow, holy shit. So you had had up to that point um, zero experience dealing in animation. So you were jumping in to that whole thing head first. And Johnny Bravo was a a decent-sized hit. Uh, And Because I remember distinctly 
uh, that show when it was on. And so, yeah, I was, I was on one season and, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, they, they were deciding and everybody went their way, but that first season was murderers row, man. It was me, Seth MacFarlane, wow. Butch Hartman, um, you know, like just a ton of really talented animators. Cara Vallo yeah. was, uh, was, was there and she's now an executive producer for everything Seth does. And it was just, you know, and it was joyful because it, everybody was new in their career. Mm-hmm. So it was just like young energy, uh, just doing whatever, you know, having fun with a cartoon. But yeah. yeah, if it wasn't, if it wasn't for me, uh, doing jokes about the news and doing jokes in USA today, um, that's when they had guest columnists mm-hmm. and then there'd be a little clip like Steve Marmel is performing at uncle Haha's in St. Petersburg, Florida. <laughs> so, you know, that was, you know, and I use that to like get gigs as though that got anybody in the seats. Um, <laughs> but you know, everything sort of like merged into the ability to, once I learned how to write scripts on Hanna-Barbera's dime, uh, a very nice, career in writing animation. Yeah. Yeah. And on, and honestly, my favorite part about it is when you're writing animation for kids, you, you don't have to be cynical, right? right? You can actually, you can, you can be sarcastic. You can have characters that have bad traits. Like Timmy is a terrible only child and fairly odd parents. Um, and really dumb with wishes, but <laughs> that's true. Yes. Yeah. But you can, you know, you can, you can do that, but you still have to like, you know, you still have to have a joy and a hopefulness mm-hmm. in your cartoons because you're you're entertaining pe- little people that haven't been ruined by life yet. Yeah. So let's not be the person that does it. <laughs> right. And so uh, obviously you met Seth MacFarlane on Johnny Bravo, right? And so that's how yeah. you kind of got a foot in the door on Family Guy. Is that true? Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, you know, Seth, Seth and I go back to when he first arrived in Los Angeles, uh, and he's the most insanely talented person I've ever met. His voice work, man, his voice work. I just, I so admire. He's got one of, one of those set of pipes where you just go, holy shit. I'd love to have his voice alone. That is amazing. Yeah. And, and like, you know, and he worked his butt off on that show like he he you know yeah. he hand drew the pilot mm-hmm. he you know he, and he he you know he suffered the ups and downs of the first seasons of stuff um and look it's he does he does the guy deserves everything he got because he worked for it yeah um so it's I, i'm i'm sort of at a loss at it so yeah that did i was able to like sit in the room and do like punch up and uh, on that very first season yeah and then that that's when you know i ended up getting a uh, literally an eight-year job on fairly odd parents at nickelodeon mm-hmm. in 99 and that was uh that was and it was just all uphill from there fortunately what I'm do really you, i'm really fortunate what are you working on now yeah i got a couple things uh boy i hate the word in development because you can't a it sounds like bullshit <laughs> like you know it's like uh, i've got a couple of ideas in ivf i sure hope i can bring them to term um <laughs> yeah but 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 i'm also at a really fun point in my career where it's like i can just go i like this comic book i'm gonna reach out to the creator and see if we can do something or i mm-hmm. like this uh, game and the characters within it. So I'm going to try to do that. So the things I'm doing right now, unless it's with a studio, which I do have a couple things going there's stuff that I'm like, I love it. I want to see if I can elevate it in whatever weird way that things get elevated in this day and age. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Whether it's a podcast or a web cartoon or a live show, I don't care. I just want to do something fun with good people because, uh, Life's too short. So are you taking uh, what show ideas to studios and then going with them to networks like Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon? Is that the process now, or are you able to go directly to uh, those outlets uh, without sort of partnering with uh, uh, production companies, or is it kind of a mix of the both? It's a mix of both. I'm fortunate enough that I've done this uh, well enough, and I, I, I think the material I do is – is good, but that's absolutely subjective. Uh, yeah, yeah. But you know, they they know me. They know how I produce shows. They know uh, they know I'm not. Uh, uh, you know, they they know my temperament, mm-hmm. uh, and they also know that I can take a note. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, 
So yeah, I can pitch directly, but honestly, it's like, I also like the idea of being uh, a scrappy individual <laughs> and just going, all right, I would like to do this show with no, that's just what I want it to be with a person I've known my whole life. And if it takes off great. And if it doesn't, uh, it's no different than spending time writing a pilot or a pitch deck. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I always ran into, Steve, when I was pitching is networks would always have their little kind of list of things that they weren't interested in. Like car Cartoon yeah. Network was notorious about that in the like, I don't know, in the late 2000s or 2005 to 2010. They were like, no, we don't want any superhero parodies and no shows that take place in a weird location like a bunch of animals that live in a shoe. So these right. <laughs> weird things in the animation industry, which I love so much. But it was that was one of the things that or a couple of the things that they said, uh, don't even bother pitching us ideas like this. Is there something like that now where some of the networks and studios are like, don't ever bring us one of these kinds of ideas ever again. If you bring us this concept, we're going to laugh you out of the room. Is there? Anything oh, yeah. Like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it. I don't think it's intentional, but it's like, you know, they get the they get the reports and every every you know, three days, it's like today we're not doing shows about eggs. And then something, <laughs> something, expo yeah. something explodes on the internet. And all of a sudden everybody's got angry egg, the cartoon or whatever. I mean, right. it, it's, you know, it's, it's, we don't want this until it becomes a hit. And then we want our version of it. Exactly. Um, it doesn't make any sense. And it drive it used to drive me crazy. I mean, that's one of the things that, uh, uh, one of the reasons why I kind of bailed out of the whole thing when I had a chance. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, but yeah. then, but but every now and then, something like really interesting and unique breaks through the clutter. Like, uh, yeah. you know, I, 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 you know, I'm gonna, I, I'm only using this because I'm reaching it. But like shows like Star versus the Forces of Evil or Owl House, right? Like yeah. you, they're just they're their own quirky epics that don't really tie into any existing IP, but they're great shows and they hold an audience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Ghost and Molly McGee, that's not based on anything. That's 2D animation. Yeah. It's killing it. It's doing great. So, uh, you know, they can say what they want, but then if, you, sh if you, you get a pilot and it's undeniably good and it tests undeniably well, they're going to buy it. Yeah. In the streaming space, is the process still the same as it always was where they maybe pick up a presentation or something like that, or maybe a full on pilot. And then it goes through the process of focus groups and executives mulling over and people not wanting to go out on a limb and green lighting something by themselves, yeah. making sure they have a committee behind them so they ha can spread the blame around if it's a failure. I mean, is that kind of process still holding true in the streaming space or has that gone the way of the dodo? Is that extinct now? And there's a new process for streaming. I don't have a lot of experience in that. So, but that's never really stopped me from talking before. <laughs> okay. Um, have you heard anything? But, I mean, from other people, no, like, I, uh, it's really weird I, over there in I streaming. Think, I, if it's like, you know, if it's like a net, if it's like a big studio streaming, yeah. like, I think the pitch process is exactly the same. It would be as if you were going to a, a, a Fox or a cartoon network or a, a, a Disney channel. I, I just think that, you know, the, the process of buying and producing a cartoon is pretty much the same. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, there's that ad, there's that added neat thing about, you know, I'm going to put it on YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, don't make, you know, don't make me put it on uh, on, on a social media site. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> so, you know, it's it's sort of like in a way, I think there was a period of time where some comic book companies were going, yeah, we'll buy our book, but you got to do a Kickstarter. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you're an established, if you're an established writer or artist, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Um but again, scrappy individuals uh, yeah. have also figured out a way to do it. So yeah, I mean, is that now a dominating thing where you do sort of the deficit financing of the initial episode of a project and and take that, or maybe an entire eight episode run of a thing, and then take it in and say we've got this prepackaged 
set of shows here ready to roll for you so you retain ownership because uh, i remember that was yeah when i got out of it it was kind of people were dabbling in that a little bit and that was how you got your foot in the door but I, you know what i feel like steve i feel like a guy who just got divorced and is dating again is like how did dating change suddenly <laughs> yeah <laughs> like why is it still the same i mean do you still ask someone out and you go out for malteds at the you know the drugstore uh but no i i feel like uh, yeah. that kind of person but uh so thank you for indulging me on all of that no it's look honestly the, sh the stuff that i'm having the most fun with is the stuff that uh that i'm deficit financing but i'm deficit financing it with effort yeah right yeah. like uh, it's you know and if it if it goes and it, it, it becomes something bigger than uh, something on YouTube, then great. Uh, but if it doesn't, I'm going to look back at it and go, I had fun. I hung with great people. Yeah. We did something neat. And then I'm just going to go on to the next thing. That's a great um, attitude. Yeah. You know, again, I'm, uh, I'm really fortunate that I've worked long enough in this industry that I can, I can take some of those shots and I don't have to go crap. Am I going to have to sell my house? Yeah. Like, I don't, you know, that's not a, that, uh, for, I'm fortunate enough that it's like it, the industry was the industry that it was when I was there. I know it's harder now. Like everything's harder now. Yeah. Um, and so I also try to be humble about that because it's, you know, it's a much more difficult world and the, there's no right one way to do it. Are you in a place where you can kind of see several shows over the horizon right now? I mean, do you have that luxury or yeah. is it basically show to show to show still? Oh, no, I'm, I'm literally I I'm like reaching out to people that I've worked with. Like the pandemic slowed everybody down. And then uh, yeah. I had a couple of it, it's it's been a personally I've had some bumps this year. Nothing, nothing major. I'm still here talking to you, but uh, it's it's been a run. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm reaching out to the people that I've had success with. And I'm like, what do you want to do? That's that would be fun. And I want mm. to put it together first yeah, and then figure out where it can go. Um, what are, you know, what are some of the bumps? Do you mind saying or no? Oh, the, the personal bumps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, lost, a lost a friend, uh, oh, over man. lost a friend and a parent in the last two in the last year. Oh my God. Uh, had a couple of health issues. Like one was stupid and one was stupid. Um, yeah, I saw the x-rays on your Twitter, whatever yeah. they call that cover image. Is that a yeah, recent oh, thing my, or is that? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> this is the idiocy. This is basically how every major surgery goes with me. Uh, I had Jesus. spinal fusion, which they absolutely underpay underplay how much it's going to suck. Hmm. But, uh, I had spinal fusion, which I needed to get in the process. Uh, I, uh, I had a dog bite. I stepped on my dog while I wasn't paying attention the night before. Not his fault. Oh, I'm no. not blaming the dog, but he nipped me, and then uh, I got I got a little uh, got a little blood disease. Oh so my that was God. Uh, that was <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm going to say to you and all your uh, all your uh, <laughs> followers, if you get bitten by a dog, I, I know it, you know even if it's a scratch, have iodine, get on antibiotics because. Uh, the minute I tell that story, somebody invariably goes, oh, yeah, I had a friend who lost his leg to that. And it's 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 more than you think. Holy but that's literally. Shit. Yeah. So it's uh, it's this year has been sort of a, a, a bumpy health year, but I'm I'm in a good place right now. And uh, Wait, what kind of disease is it then? What, what kind of disease do you get from your dog? I mean, it's, there, is there a specific uh, name for it or is it just a generalized I, uh, infection? There's, there's multiple different infections you can get. Uh, one of them has a 30% mortality rate Jesus. if you uh, don't catch it. Uh, and, uh, you know, after surgery, your, <laughs> your body's like, hey, let's not do any fighting diseases for a while oh. and that it just it just came roaring in oh, uh luckily i luckily i i have health insurance thanks to my union he said hoping everybody gets it uh as well and uh i was fine but it was you know it was pretty it's pretty you know i, I was about to become one of those uh hashtags where it's like really <laughs> that's how he went and it's uh 
And uh, I am glad you're you're the first you're the first podcast I've done after that. Wow. So this is the first time I've told that story. Yeah, are you sure we didn't talk about it in the previous podcast you were on that we didn't do? Yeah, no, no, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the one that. <laughs> the one that was live from Narnia? Yeah, yeah that was good. That the was Phantom good. Steve Marmel interview from yesteryear. <laughs> yeah, it just, it seems crazy. And I, I need to go around to all the people and say fuck you to everyone who said to me that a dog's mouth is cleaner than a human's mouth. So nope. this is clearly untrue, right? That's clearly a myth in your no, experience. You, I mean, look, it, it, I'm living proof that that can happen. And uh, it is on the internet at... And not just like randomly, you can go to hospital websites that have facts about it, wow. you know? Yeah, I had no idea. Okay, well, now I got to be super careful. Yeah, I got, I, I was scratched by a dog and now I'm like super paranoid that I've got some sort of blood disease. I don't feel it, but uh, you know. Well, what, you know, just look, if it starts getting puffy, uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, you, but... you know, do, do something about it. But honestly, right. just, uh, I have enough iodine around the house that I could probably build a bomb right now. <laughs> All right. So, I, may, I may be knocking at your door for some extra iodine then. <laughs> it's, 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 they're inexpensive. You okay. can, I believe you have the cash for it. Gotcha. Well, my friend, it was great talking to you uh, for the first time. I want to be in, entirely yeah. clear about that. All right. Uh, where can people find you on uh, social media, find your work, et cetera? Um, you can find me on uh, the Pale Emperor's uh, X Twitter. I'm at Marmel. Um, I'm also at Marmel on Spoutable, which I actually enjoy a lot. Great. Um, yeah. And then uh, for some reason, I'm Marmel's plural on Instagram and threads because somebody <laughs> got Marmel. Oh, um, that sucks. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually like, I follow this person now it's uh just got a family i think it's in the philippines seems absolutely delightful oh the imposter um, you follow the imposter marmel then huh no no i think i think she had a reason to use marmel and okay. uh she was faster than me i respect that <laughs> all right um, that's funny yeah it was really good talking to you like thanks for uh thanks for having me on the show again yeah great talk and we'll definitely do we'll, <laughs> right we'll definitely do this again for okay, the third time's a charm. The second time for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, love it. All right, take it, it easy, my friend. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. I have felt this way before. Been so happy, so serene. I have loved like this, I'm sure. But it was only when. is real this is true doesn't get more real and true than me and you this is real this is true doesn't get more real and true than me and you
There is exciting news in Stephanie Miller podcast land, isn't there, Chris? We now offer Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour podcast and the Out of the Gate podcast. Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour podcast is once a week. It is the best interviews of the week from the Stephanie Miller show every Friday. Stephanie Miller Out of the Gate is daily. You will get the first segment of every day's Stephanie Miller show, plus Stephanie Miller's Happy Hour Extra, which is the best interview of each day. So three different podcasts in one feed. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Hear that? That's the sound of change being cooked up in our schools. Each day, school food professionals throughout California are working to make better meals for our kids, one tray at a time. These meal planning, sauce stirring, taste bud training professionals are making food for students from kindergarten to high school using fresher ingredients and flavors kids love. The secret ingredient to better school food in California? The dedicated professionals who are improving it every day. Learn more about how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.